Welcome to the Vine Podcast. This is Warren, and I am especially looking forward to today's conversation for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, because of my conversation partners for today. So Rachel is back again today. Hello, Rachel. Oh, that was a nice introduction. Wasn't it, though? Yes. (laughs) So Rachel is here, and making his return to the podcast is Terry, one of our elders here at the Vine. Welcome back, Terry. Well, thank you, Warren. Hello, Rachel. Hello. We're, we are recording in person today. We've been on Zoom for most of our conversations, but it's in person. And so it's a little different looking at your faces and not your Zoom boxes. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes for today. And I feel a little rusty anyways, because it's, it's been a few weeks since I've done a podcast, mm-hmm. I guess. And so Rachel has stepped up and done a couple of, I guess, our last, our last couple of episodes and did a great job hosting those conversations. So I'm, I'm excited and looking forward to, to having a conversation with, with both of you today and also because of, of the, the content of what we're going to talk about because we're actually going to talk about one of my favorite parables. And so this is going to be in conjunction with uh, the sermon series that we've been doing, looking at some of the stories of Jesus. So today we're going to be in Luke 16 in the parable of the shrewd manager. And it is one of my favorite parables pretty much because I don't really always know what to do with it. So it's not one of my favorites because it's like, I, I like this yeah. point that it's driving towards or any kind of agenda like this, this further is what I think needs to be important or any of that type of stuff that we might normally like stories for. But I, I enjoy it because it, it's sort of, in, it encourages curiosity, which is kind of where I began this series with. I think it encourages us to ask questions, to think about it for extended periods of time, to talk about it together. And so Terry and I actually started talking about this parable, just a conversation we were having. And we said, well, what if we, what if we did it in a podcast? So, because I wasn't going to include it in a sermon series, because I actually preached on this parable in a series that we did on money, probably a couple of years ago at this point. But I do think it's a good one to, to talk about and, and to discuss together. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about Luke 16. And I think this comes at a good time, because if you're listening to this the week it comes out, we just talked about Luke 15 on Sunday, and this parable comes right after it. There's not really even a transition. The only transition between the three lost stories in Luke 15 and this story is just this little phrase there, Jesus told his disciples. That's it. That's the only sort of extra commentary that Luke gives us between the three parables in Luke 15 and, and this parable in Luke 16. So it's very much on the heels of, of what we have just been talking about on Sundays, at least, at least as it relates to, to Luke's narrative. And the other thing that I, that I personally really like about this parable is that I don't really think, I don't think there's a character for us to like emulate in this story. I don't think Jesus is calling us to, to necessarily directly sort of be like anyone in this parable at least in terms of kind of overall behavior. And we'll get into some more of that as we go through the, the, this story. But where I think that's helpful, again, kind of going back to where I began this series, is that sometimes I think we view these parables as kind of, so what moral imperative is this calling me to? And, and there are all kinds of morality issues with the people that we find in this, in this parable. And, and so it, it does cause us to dig a little deeper about what is Jesus getting at here? What does he have to say about the kingdom and about how we go about living kingdom lives? And so I'll stop there as far as setup goes, and, and we're just going to get into this story. Rachel's going to read this story for us, and, and then we're going to kick it around a little bit and, and see what we, 
what we see Jesus talking about here and, and what we might learn from it. So Rachel, why don't you get us going by, by reading this for us? Uh, if you're following along with us, this is in Luke 16, verses 1 through 15. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses." So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. All right. So, what do we do with this one? <laughs> um, I'll, I'll throw it open to either of y'all if y'all have thoughts first. But I, I, I'll quickly say, well, so Rachel, what version were you reading from there? That was the ESV. ESV, okay. I, that was one of the things that I thought about beforehand. I did read it from a couple of different versions because I think it's helpful to read it from different versions. I didn't read it from that one, and, and something else even stood out to me as, as you were going through it in that. So sometimes even just reading it in different versions mm-hmm. is helpful. So who wants to kick us off? What do, what do you see in this story? What's, where do we begin with conversation? I'll only throw out that I agree. This is a difficult one. And, you know, I grew up singing a song called God is Calling the Prodigal. I've never sung a song about this parable here. So. <laughs> I would love to know that. If you were to, that would be a good project. If we were to write a hymn about this parable, mm. what would you write? That would you be cannot a good, serve God and money. That would be a good project. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, when, when I try to break down parables, uh, so I'll just kick us off with just some general comments and then kind of reserve some of more my specific thoughts after I hear which way the conversation's going. But I, I look at who are the characters, you know, who's also in the audience. We, we know that the Pharisees are close enough where they're hearing, even though it says in Jesus told his disciples. 
we, we learn very quickly that the Pharisees are close enough that they hear what's being said. And Jesus directs some sp very specific comments at the end of the story towards the Pharisees. Um, and that's similar to what was going on in the parable, the three different stories of the different lost um, things that we just, uh, that Warren, you spoke on. And so again, who are the characters? Who can we see ourselves as perhaps being represented by, uh, such as in the, the, the story of the lost son? You know, who do we see ourselves as if we can see ourselves in that story? Uh, and so I, I would maybe open it with, um, I see that the, the rich man in this story, in my view, is probably God and that the manager is a, a, a religious leader, and then the debtors uh, are all of the others, all of you know, the other people, we are all debtors to God. And there's other parables about forgiving debt. Uh, and so you know, putting all that together, if I view that, that shapes how I see this story, because uh, the rich man is not always seen as God. Sometimes a rich man is an abusive, person who abuses their power. But I think in this case, the rich man, the master in my, the way I think of this is God. And again, the manager is a religious leader, possibly a Pharisee. And then the, the people who are in debt are all of us who are in debt to sin. So let me just start with that. And, and you may have very different views of even who the characters are, but that's how I interpret this, at least on my reading. Well, yes, right off the bat, I have a different interpretation and a different view, so this can be fun. Um, so my first thought was that this parable can throw you for a loop if you're trying to read it in like a formula of the way that parables really go. Um, so me personally, when I'm reading a parable, I usually look for the character that represents humanity and the one that represents God. But my opinion is that in this parable, no one represents God. <laughs> um, because I think if you try to equate the boss or the rich man with God, it leaves you confused with this feeling that God praises deception, um, that God gives commendation for behavior of the dishonest manager. And that behavior is praised in the story, but I don't think it's praised by God. I think that Jesus's commentary shows us that his behavior is being praised by the world. Um, and so to me, that's kind of my starting point that I feel like gives me a framework for understanding God is not being represented here. It's about the way that people struggle in their lives in this broken earth to, to make a living for themselves. And if you use that type of economic struggle, um, or trying to make a way for yourself based on money, you're going to use the values of the world to accomplish that, which will include deception and, you know, climbing your way up the ladder and not caring who you step on along the way. Um, and I think that, that, that Jesus's response shows, yeah, if you do that, the world's going to be happy and they're going to praise you and they're going to say, good job, you did it, you made it. But that's not the way of God. Warren, either you're a tiebreaker or you're going to have a totally different view of this. Well, it, so I, yes. <laughs> All of the above. All of the above. 
And I do, I mean, as we've said, I think this is why this parable is good for discussion, because I think I see it probably a little differently than, than both of you. And, and so maybe that's, maybe that's a place for us to kind of, to kind of go is to say, what, what do we think the point is? If we're going to boil this down to a point, like what, what is Jesus, what is Jesus trying to say in this parable? Or what, what do, what do we hear him saying in, in this parable? Because, because I think I'm probably maybe, yeah, I think I would have maybe a little bit of a kind of a third reading on it, but mm-hmm. I want to, I want to kind of explore what we see. So maybe Terry, if, if you're kind of going with your reading of it, what would you say then is, what do you hear Jesus trying to communicate to us then through, through the story? Um, and again, I, I think in the parables, there's so much room for interpretation. And, that, and that's a, one of the beauties because Jesus says, right. you know, whatever your ears are, which may actually, you know, we, we think it is, do you understand or don't understand? But it may be based on where you are in your life setting as to how you read certain things. Again, you, you spoke of what traditionally has been called the prodigal son on Sunday. And, you know, at different stages in our life, we may view that. I think some actually see themselves very much as the prodigal in that mm-hmm. story because they had wandered from God. And then others, I think those of us who have, quote, been in the church our whole lives uh, are more likely to see ourselves as the older brother and trying not to have that as our attitude. Whereas in this story, um, again, I, I totally agree that there are aspects of this master that don't necessarily fit God's personality, but I think that totally is okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I think there's there's other things that we attribute to God, mm-hmm. such as, again, the father and the prodigal son story, that we may not necessarily attribute those to God either, mm-hmm. in that he, he, I mean, he fully allowed, you know, basically enabled the son to have a very prodigal life. Mm-hmm. Um, again, would, would God do that? Would basically enable us to uh, be miserable? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this story, so let me just walk through how I read this. So if, if I read the, the, what the job of the manager is, it's to manage the master's resources. And here it, it appears that the manager really doesn't have any resources himself because when he loses his job, he sees himself as basically having no way to feed himself or to, you know, he has no shelter. He has no place to go. Everything that he has belongs to the master. And again, I see that very much as the way we are to view the blessings we have in this life is everything that we possess really is not ours, it's God's. And it's only on loan, you know, that we use that concept of stewardship. So this is essentially the steward manager. And at his disposal were the master's resources. And part of that was to collect on debt uh, in this story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, basically the master says, turn in all your books and, you know, I'm going to see exactly how bad you've been cheating me. So basically turn in all the records, essentially kind of a a mini judgment, if Mm -hmm. you will, a day of accountability. And it dawns on him, I've got to do something 
with the master's resources that will benefit me in the long term. So what can I do? And so again, he basically grants leniency, or we might say mercy or even grace mm -hmm. to those in debt. And, you know, if this is essentially debt that was going to be difficult, we would call it bad debt if you're a business owner now. Mm -hmm. He essentially has become a debt collection and was able to actually get something. And not only is he shrewd enough to be able to get something, which will also benefit him later when he loses his job. <laughs> he apparently, again, maybe I'm reading too much in this story. He doesn't like say everyone gets 50% off. He gives a different deal yeah. to the two different mm -hmm. people that are indebted based on what he thinks they can actually pay and what they're mm -hmm. willing to actually do. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what would actually it take for them to settle their debt with the master? And again, I don't think the master is looking at this saying, oh, I'm praising you for the, your character because he's firing him. You know, <laughs> this guy's fired. He's, out on, yeah. he's still out on the street. But uh, I think the bottom line to me is, is the, the way the parable speaks to me is God, uh, Jesus is essentially saying, when it comes to things, using resources that benefit ourselves, we tend to be way more highly motivated to use those in a way that benefit ourselves than that benefit the master, that benefit mm. the kingdom. And if we were even the least bit as shrewd in the way that we think about how can I use God's possessions in a way that benefit the kingdom, and that be my motivation, that be my urgency, that be what gets me out of bed each morning, mm -hmm. then I think what the message is saying is the kingdom would be furthered if we were that resourceful with the with the blessings that God has given us. And then you see at the end where he is essentially pointing the finger at the Pharisees who's staring at sneering at Jesus and essentially saying you're highly motivated to do whatever it takes to grant, you know, to to basically enable yourselves to enjoy the riches of this life, but you're not willing to do anything to basically extend the kingdom, to extend mercy mm -hmm. to those in debt because of sin. Um, and I think an example of where they would like justify themselves is when Jesus used the example of people who should be using some of their resources to support their own parents, but instead they say, well, any, any help I would have given my parents I'm going to give to the, the church instead, which of course benefits the clergy, which benefits the Pharisees. And so the Pharisees are totally fine to bend the law mm -hmm. because it benefits them financially and give the people a pass at doing really what God would ask them to do. But anyway, that's my take on this, but it's totally open to, to others' view and... I would say tomorrow I may have a different view of this. <laughs> well, you, you know, and I think that's why I do think I'm kind of somewhere maybe in the middle of, of the two of you because I think I, I sort of have a similar takeaway, I think, to you, Terry. But I, I think I, I fall more in line with Rachel in terms of not seeing these, these characters as sort of assigned to, like, God, people, others. And so I think maybe just... I think you and I would maybe start from a different place, but end up in a similar destination. Mm -hmm. And I think it is one of the, I think part of why I have started being 
more open to sort of a, a curiosity focused reading of the parables is that it's just it's so hard for us to put ourselves in the context in which Jesus is tearing the, telling this parable. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, there may be cultural aspects that we just completely miss that, that in Jesus's day, they would have, they would have just been second nature to them. And, and I think this is what we kind of tried to get at in the conversation that we had with Dale, you know, Jason's uncle a few weeks ago, this, this idea of when we go back and try to reestablish the cultural context in order to pull forward meaning, that's just not always possible, and sometimes it's not even best or, or necessary, perhaps. And, and so I think the parables are a great place to come and say, what, what does this have to say to us today? As, as I read this, what, what do I feel like Jesus is communicating? And, and so what I hear here is, is Jesus telling a story about, about how we maybe can and should use earthly possessions and materials for, for good purposes. And how I, I think part of what I hear him saying is people who are, are using material stuff and, and who are just trying to get ahead in life, people who are doing this stuff for worldly gain are more shrewd or more creative or, or more, um, are using some some ingenuity in in better ways than than maybe even kind of kingdom oriented people are from time to time is sort of what I hear him saying, and and so like in in the message the way that the message translates the the end of this Eugene Peterson uh, translates one of the ending verses here we after talking about this this shrewd manager he says this he uh, Eugene Peterson has Jesus say this I want you to be smart in the same way but for what is right, mm. using every adversity to stimulate your own creative survival, to concentrate your attention on the bare essentials, so you'll live, really live, and not complacently just get by on good behavior, which is an interesting way, I think, to render that. And basically mm. saying, look, this, this guy was, was, he was dishonest, he was unrighteous, but he was doing that, and he was, even if he wasn't morally acting in morally upstanding ways, he was he was using some good kind of worldly sense in order to make sure that he was being taken care of, you know, as as you were saying, Terry, to make sure, hey, how am I gonna gonna still be able to to live and function after I'm fired from this job? And I think part of what Jesus is is getting us to see here is like all this the, these possessions that we have, the the worldly resources that we have. Um, how can we how can we be created with those? How can we be kingdom oriented with those and kingdom minded with those to uh, to further the cause of the kingdom with the things that we've been blessed with and and not simply try to accumulate more stuff to build up our own uh, to build up our own you know storehouses to borrow imagery from another parable and 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 to think about what is a way that I can use this for for kingdom purposes and how can we be creative with that? And, and so one of, the, one of the kind of ways that I kind of have gotten tripped up on this story that's actually, this is what I mentioned that's helpful for me to hear it from a different, a different um, version, was if you read it in the NIV in verse 8, it says, The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. But then if you go down to verse 10, he says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. And so the use of dishonest there, I think, 
sort of trips me up if you read it in the NIV. And I think it's also unfortunate word choices in a couple of those situations. So if you read in verse 8, it says, The master commended the dishonest manager. Really, that word dishonest there maybe could be better translated as unrighteous. It literally means like unrighteous or worldly. And then if you go to verse 9, in the, again, this is in the NIV. It says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And that, world, that word worldly is the same word in, that's in verse 8. It's the same root of the word that's in verse 8. And so they both seem to have this, this connotation of worldly or, or unrighteous. And I hear that almost as, as things that, that aren't necessarily of God, like, like money. Is, it's a worldly thing. It's not necessarily a righteous thing. It's just a worldly kind of creation. And, and so I, I, hear God, I hear Jesus saying through this story, like, if you've got these worldly resources at your disposal, why not use them for kingdom purposes? Why not use them to benefit others? Why not use them to, to get ahead and to use them for eternal purposes not just to get ahead in this world. Like how can you use those that, that can have an impact on eternity, that can, that can do good for eternal purposes, not just how can I get ahead in this life using what I have? Hmm. That takes some time to digest. <laughs> this all yeah. takes some time to digest. So maybe, as Terry said, maybe we will all have more thoughts tonight. We'll be like, all right, let's record part two of this later. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, I, and I think you're right, Warren, in that, regardless of whether you actually identify the characters in this story as specific people, God, right. whoever, I think you and I saw the same conclusion, which is that we are not as clever, as resourceful, as motivated for kingdom purposes as we are when it comes to our own careers, uh, things that purely benefit ourselves and don't necessarily benefit God's kingdom. Um, yeah. Again, I, he's like, you know, if, if, if I can't trust you with the things I'm blessing you with, then why should I give you more? You always ask right. for more. Why should I give you more when you're not actually you're using You're not doing what anything I, with it. Yeah. <laughs> what would you do with more? You would just waste it on yourself. Yeah. I read, uh, so I, I read... I have old, it's an old book that's got some writings on, on many of the parables. And I can't remember who wrote it at this point or I'd give him credit. But he talks about in this book, this author talks about how, you know, you could have a business person who is just going to overcome any obstacle that comes up in order for them to get ahead. And he's like, you know, rain or shine, they're going to be out there working to, to do what they need to do to further their business, get ahead. And then he, he specifically talks about weather in both of these cases because then he says, you know, then on the other hand, like weather is the great enemy of church attendance is kind of what he goes to next. He's like, you know, rain will, will take down any church, church service. But, but, you know, a businessman who's out there looking, for, looking out for himself is going to overcome any obstacles. Mm -hmm. And so his point is that, like, Jesus is asking us to take these principles that a, a shrewd worldly businessman or businesswoman would, would apply to their own ventures and say, what if, what if you approached kingdom living with the same tenacity, with the same creativity, and just said, any obstacle that comes up, we're going we're gonna to plow through it, and, and we're going to find a way to get over this. And 
And, and I think where the ending of this story then connects to that is that, you know, he says you cannot serve both God and money. And that it, so if money is my God, if it's all about accumulating stuff and, and doing what's best for me, I'm going to miss a lot of those opportunities. Um, and, and, but if, 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 if I have an eternal per, um, perspective, then that, that does encourages us to, encourage us to hopefully do some of those other things and be creative and some of those things we've, been, we've already been talking about. Yeah. So Rachel... What do you think on all that? <laughs> well, Where your you question about what do you think the key point from Jesus is, I think that comes at the end of verse 14 when he says, what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Or um, the ESV says, oh, what is where is it? Um, what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So I'm trying to process what you're saying with what I feel like Jesus sums it up as because what Jesus, I think that Jesus is looking toward the Pharisees and saying, you are the ones who are justifying yourselves. You're the ones who are saying, whatever we have to do to benefit ourselves, we're going to do it. However we have to twist things or, you know, write the receipts a little bit differently, that's what we're going to do to benefit ourselves um, and they justify themselves. They justify their actions in the sight of others. And other people are like, oh, yeah, that's good. You guys are great. Like, y'all are the righteous ones. Y'all are upright. So I, for me, I'm seeing this as Jesus trying to covertly um, point out pride um, and then also to flip perspective. So the people who think that they are the righteous ones and who everybody else thinks are the righteous ones, he specifically calls out and says, I think he is telling them, you guys are the dishonest manager. And he, I don't think he's commending them for it. I think he's actually calling them out. Um, and so I think that Jesus is calling them to a flipping of priorities and showing the disciples, like, you guys are going to be different. Y'all are not going to be the type of religious leaders that the Pharisees have been. Y'all are going to walk a different path and set a different example for the people of Jesus. Um, so I think it's flipping perspective, but I'm trying to reconcile what you're saying about like using, you know, using the methods of the world and what we would use in business to further the kingdom of God with what Jesus says of what the world loves is actually an abomination to God. So it seems like Jesus is saying, don't do anything like the way the world does. Like, don't follow that at all. Like, you're going to be completely different, um, at least maybe in values and perspective. Maybe the methods might be similar <laughs> or, you know, business principles or something. But I think that Jesus is saying, the perspective of kingdom people, of Jesus people, is a completely different, a fresh perspective. And maybe we use money, but it's not about money. And I think he's saying for, for pretty much everybody up to this point, it's been about money. And for you guys, it's going to be about relationship. And money might play a part or might be utilized as a tool to show people about relationship. Yeah, I think um, um, I don't. I don't disagree with anything you just said. I think I just take it a little further. Like again, you see the Pharisees as being the shrewd manager here. Yeah. And if I see them as a the manager, who is their master? Who is their boss? Whose resources 
where they put in charge of but God. Mm -hmm. So that puts the master here in the God in that role, which again, I don't see the master as basically saying, you're doing exactly what I want you to do. Mm -hmm. They're only commend, they're not, he's not commending the dishonesty or the fact that he's not trustworthy. He's saying, you're bright, you're clever. If only you had done that to serve me and not mm -hmm. serve yourself, mm -hmm. it would have benefited me. Uh, because I look at verse nine and, the, and Jesus is saying, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So again, that's why I think I fall back on what is it that's being commended here? It's the cleverness, it's the shrewdness, it's using everything that you have at your disposal for something. Now you can be motivated because of money or you can be motivated to serve your master, but you're blessed with a lot and you can use that for whatever purpose you want. And here it's when your resources are gone, if you're kingdom minded, that's fine. That means you basically are blessed with eternal things. The dwelling that you get to enter when your resources are, when you're no longer in charge of what God has given you, essentially you've entered the heavenly kingdom as opposed to the alternate, which is when you've squandered everything, your only hope is that somebody is gonna have a relationship with you and is gonna invite you in their home. Um, again, that's just how I'm reading this. Um, I, again, I don't see the master as condoning any sort of dishonesty um, uh, or, or being untrustworthy because again, he's firing the guy. <laughs> Does he still get fired in the end? I well, I do, like I do think that's, talks. yeah. <laughs> I, I sort of read into it that he's still getting fired. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's part of where maybe my interpretation of it comes in is that like the, the master looks at him and, and commends him for the way he has acted. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, he's still out of a job. And I think, Terry, you even said that, like that's how you read it as well. And so it's not that he's commending the action but he's recognizing there's you you did something that was smart. You did something that that's going to help you out going forward. And and it's not praiseworthy to the extent of hey, you've redeemed yourself, you're going to keep your job. But he at least recognizing re recognizes there's there's some good sense that you've used here in order to look out for yourself going forward. And he's commending he's commending that, I feel like. Hmm. Um and so that's why I think it, to, to me, it goes back to this question of who, who are you serving? Are you serving God or money? Because that's what Jesus comes to at the mm -hmm. end. That's kind of how I am personally viewing this parable. It's like, who are you serving? And so I, I hear Jesus saying, um, if you're serving God, if, if God is your master and is truly who you are serving, how can you use the things of this world towards that end um, in in ways that have the, the same sense, the same creativity, the same long-term goal, uh, all, these, all these things that we could say about this guy. If, if I'm serving God, how can I do, do those same things that would be commendable, but do them in a righteous way and with righteous intent and with righteous motive? 
Because, I mean, you can get twisted around just with verse 9, where he says, mm-hmm. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Like, if you just take that verse, like, where else in Scripture do we have anything about gaining friends for myself as a ticket to eternal dwellings, right? Like, just that, that phrase, that sentence, you, you could spend a long time just on what does verse 9 mean. And, and so that's why, especially with this story, I think for me, I take it much more kind of big picture instead of like this, this represents these people, this image represents this thing. And it's more kind of about the totality. And I almost picture Jesus kind of thinking about what point do I want to communicate and how do I create a narrative around that? And so he creates that. And, and, and to me, it's also relevant that he's saying this to the disciples, but the Pharisees are like listening in. Mm-hmm. So almost to me as if any kind of side benefit of any critique that it has to the Pharisees is like secondary to the main point that he's trying to con- communicate to the disciples for, for the yeah. way that I read it. I, I but again, think, it's the beauty of this parable. So yeah. We can kick around, we can kick around all these thoughts and maybe, maybe one of us is right or maybe none of us are wrong and who knows. <laughs> yeah, no, and, I, and I don't think we're that far apart. And, you know, I think, most of us, I think all of us, it's very clear that, you know, that you're either going to have God as the one that you hold up as your motivation, as who you're trying to serve, or it's going to be the things of this flesh, you know, that money specifically in this case. And if money is your motivator, if money is your purpose for living, then Jesus is condemning that, that God should be our purpose. God should be our motivator. I think one of the things that made it difficult when I first heard this parable is I always saw the the manager as essentially cheating the master when he was essentially reconciling the debt. Mm-hmm. You know, I viewed this as basically the master would not have done that and the the manager was essentially saying, "Hey, I'm going to give you a deal that the the that my master won't give you." Mm-hmm. And so if you don't do this very quickly, you're out of luck because mm-hmm. when I'm out of here, you're going to owe the whole thing. <laughs> and and again, me reading this into it, I think this is debt that's been on the books a long time and he's done nothing about trying to collect it and now he's highly motivated to collect this debt. And again, everybody wins that the manager now is in a relationship where he, he feels like this guy owes me. The guy who had debt was basically was granted leniency and the master had the debt canceled to some extent where, you know, again, most business people are like, I would have written that off, but hey, you got something for me. (laughs) So thank you for that. And I think we would have probably seen the manager in a very different light had the master said, do whatever it takes to collect some of this debt Mm -hmm. and, and build relationships with these people. This is doing me no good to have these people that are indebted and have no way to pay off the debt. And I see a parallel with the the parable of the talents where they basically, all three people that come before the master say, you're a tough person because, you know, Mm -hmm. you expect a lot from us and you expect us to actually use this resource that, that you've left us with. And one person was so, it you know, essentially unsure of themselves that they just buried it and said, well, I don't want to lose it, so I'll just give it back to you. 
but they didn't accomplish anything with it. And so, and again, I think that one's a little easier in the sense it's like, no, we're expected to do something with the resources that we're given that benefit God um, and not supposed to, quote, bury that, those gifts, those blessings. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, you know, I think an, an, another unknown part of the story is we don't know, we don't know how the, the manager went about wasting his possessions. Was he just lazy yeah. and didn't go about collecting any of these debts that he was supposed to be collecting? Or was he taking some of the money and using it himself? Or both. Or, yeah, or both. And, and I think, you know, you could read this, I think, in a way that's like, at the beginning of the story, he's wasting, he is, he is using improperly the master's possessions, and now he's doing something that, that is actually not geared towards himself gaining more money. And so maybe that could be even a flip in, in what mm. this guy's doing and could lead you down more, more kind of thoughts and, um, and interpretations. But I think that's another thing to remember about parables is, again, they're, they're stories that Jesus tells, not relaying like real life occurrences, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're stories that he is crafting for a point. And so sometimes I think that the pieces that he includes and that he doesn't include are very purposeful, I think. Um, and, and that, you know, I don't know what all the ramifications of that would be, but I just think it's, it's helpful for me to remember, like, this is a story that Jesus is telling, not relaying something about a guy that he knows, mm-hmm. but a story that he's crafting to communicate a point. And, and so I want to come back to something you had said, Rachel, because I don't want to move off kind of your, your interpretation too, too quickly. I know we kind of started heading back in the other direction again. But to just kind of make sure that I, I heard you correctly, in your mind, you're saying the, the shrewd managers is the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. And this is Jesus kind of critiquing them and telling the disciples, don't act like, don't act like this, mm-hmm. right? Don't, don't act like this manager is kind of what your, what your take on it is. And so I'm curious to hear that. So what do you think, if that's the don't for the disciples, what's, mm-hmm. the, what's the do? Yeah. What is, what is Jesus saying? All right, here's, here's how you are going to be different. Serve God. Because the, the main point is you can't serve God, God and money. And what is praised and loved by the world is detestable to God. So basically, get your priorities right. Um, and follow me and obey my commandments. Like, I think it fits in with everything else um, that he's been telling them. So it's basically, don't be like the world. (laughs) So part of that comes from mammon, when he says, you cannot serve both God and money. Um, That's the word mammon, which isn't just money. It's the world, like the way of the Mm -hmm. world, wealth, greed, like promoting yourself before God. So it's basically idolatry. Um, And so I think the point from Jesus is have your priorities in order. The big picture is to make sure that God is your God, like that you're really serving God. You're not just doing religious things or rituals, but that your heart is motivated by a love for God and not a love for the world. Because he also tells the Pharisees, God knows your hearts. You are the ones who justify yourselves, but God knows your hearts. 
So it reminds me also of the Sermon on the Mount when he tells them, don't be like the Pharisees or the hypocrites who pray in street corners in order to be seen by others, but go into your room and shut the door and pray like this. Pray in secret and your Father will reward you in secret. So the Pharisees are outwardly justifying themselves, doing something to receive the outward praise from people. And Jesus says, it's about your heart. It's about you having a genuine relationship and a love for God. And that will likely mean denying the things of the world, denying praise from people, denying wealth, um, because I don't think any of his disciples were rich after they followed Jesus and gave their lives to him. Yeah, I think what makes this parable unique to me is verses eight and nine. Mm -hmm. And again, I think that's where most of us stumble on this as we try to come up with some consistent theology Mm -hmm. around that. And again, I think that's what causes me to say it's there's something more to it than don't love money, love God, uh, don't be dishonest, don't be like the Pharisee. It's what what else, what what is verse 8 and verse 9 trying to say? Mm-hmm. And again, it's, you know, where it says the people of the world are more shrewd when dealing with other people of the world than the people are of the light are. Um, again, what does that say to me? Again, the way, and I think that's probably what the parables are supposed to. Each of us should hear (laughs) it in a way that is convicting of whatever situation we're in. Mm. And for me, the conviction is, what are my motivations? How am I using the things I've been blessed with? And am I just justifying, you know, oh yeah, I give some to the church, but that's just so I can be justified Mm-hmm. Whereas really, I, most of it I just use on myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think one of the interesting things that this conversation showed is that I do think we all, I think we have kind of a similar takeaway in kind of like we shouldn't don't serve serve worldly things. Mm-hmm. You know, you said it well a minute ago, Rachel. So I won't try to recap it, but I think what you said, I think we would all be in agreement on, but. We um, we arrived there from many kind of very different <laughs> mm-hmm. angles, and 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 I think I think that's good. I think that's interesting, and I think Rachel, your kind of way of reading it, I think does help to highlight what he says in fifteen. Mm-hmm. And I've never really read what he says in fifteen because because what I hear you saying is when he says you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. It sounds like what you're saying, you hear him saying there is you are the shrewd manager, mm-hmm. right? You're the one who's doing these things just so you can look good in the eyes of others. Mm-hmm. But really, there's no eternal significance to it. Or there's eternal punishment. Or there is eternal, yeah, Because I interpret the internal dwellings negatively. Like you're making friends for yourselves unrighteously, dishonestly, and there is an eternal payment for that. Okay, so that's where I was going to ask you next. How do you read verse 9? So do you so you read verse 9 almost as a warning then? I was wondering is Jesus being sarcastic? Like I tell you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous wealth and um you will receive so that they can receive you into eternal dwellings. Like I don't know. I feel like he's saying this in an in an intriguing way to make people's ears perk up and listen to what he's saying of like, wait a second, are you really telling us like this is what we should do? Because you started out, Warren, by saying there's not really any character here we're supposed to emulate, like we're not really supposed to be like the dishonest manager. But then it sounds like Jesus is saying, yeah, go ahead and do that. 
like do what they're doing. Yeah. Um, so I'm still struggling. Yeah. I'm still struggling on that verse and what is Jesus actually telling them to do. But I feel like he's saying, if you do this, if your if your heart desires wealth and your heart is motivated by unrighteousness, which means you're apart from relationship with God and with Jesus, the result is those same people who supported you and praised your actions in this life will receive you into the eternal dwellings, which is not with God. <laughs> so I read this, I read verse nine as negatively as a warning. So this is, it's if a you warning follow, if you, you follow it. the pattern, there is payment for it and it's not a good payment. Yeah. See, I, I do view that differently. I view nine as a blessing hmm. that in the same way, the shrewd manager knew that if he established these relationships built, built upon uh, essentially granting mercy to these people, then it would benefit in this life by having basically food and shelter. And I see Jesus saying, if you will use the possessions you're given in this world to gain friends for yourselves and use that relationship for the kingdom, mm -hmm. then again, when you die, you will be welcomed into heaven. I've never seen the term welcome to refer to hell. Hell <laughs> welcomes those that get here. No, it's, you're, you're banished to hell. Uh, but again, I, 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 I mentioned this to Warren at lunch today, and I think it, it's so apropos for this is the, it, you know, this is a real life uh, counterfact to the bumper sticker, God said it, I believe it, that mm. settles it of what I was telling Warren is what I've seen the expanded bumper sticker, which is God said it, it was translated, I interpreted it, and that really didn't settle it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, you know, I've, I've never, I've never considered verse nine that way. And I, I think the way that you're saying it, Rachel, really makes it seem that like, however you read verse nine mm -hmm. is going to shape how you read everything around it. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and I do personally, I hear verse nine as sort of basically like value relationships over money. Um, and, and just in a very base sense, I think, and how, how are you, but again, kind of how are you using the stuff that you have mm -hmm. and, and are you using the stuff that you have to build relationships, to build connections? Um, and then again, kind of how, to, how are you using those for, for eternal purposes beyond yourself? Um, but, but I think this is the, again, the benefit of talking through it with others. And, you know, I even mentioned to kind of go to some behind the scenes conversations about podcast stuff. I told Jason one time, I was like, I want us to find a conversation we can talk about where we would disagree about it. Mm -hmm. And that the point wouldn't be like the point of today isn't yeah. going to be, all right, Wrap we're going to decide on our interpretation. Mm -hmm. What is, what is our interpretation between the three of us? Uh, that that's not the point that, that there can be disagreements. There can be things that we can say, yeah, we, we don't see eye to eye on this but that we can learn from each other. Uh, you know, we've we talked about that in several different places. We can learn from each other. We can, we can gain something from another person's interpretation, even if my overall interpretation doesn't change, because I do think it helps to bring stuff out. It helps us to ask questions. It helps us to be curious. Um, like I said, it, you know, it helps me to view some of these verses in, in new ways and new lights, 
even if my overall sort of take on them mm-hmm. doesn't doesn't end up being any different. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Can I ask a closing question maybe? Go for it. So you started with this is one of your favorite parables. Why? Uh-huh. I think because of all of this. Yeah. That I think <laughs> I think when we like so to use the parables we talked about on Sunday. Mm-hmm. If we if the three of us read those three lost parables, mm-hmm. I think we may all bring out something different from them. I think we may all describe what it's calling us to in a little different way, but I don't think there would be like sweeping differences, you know, mm-hmm. maybe there would be, but, but I, I feel like that's, I feel like the, the, the parables that we tend to focus on are the ones where there's like a clear, like, here's what Jesus is calling us to in this parable. Yeah. Build your house on the rock, not sand. Like mm-hmm. here's, this is what, this is what it means. Like, again, I may have, we may have different directions that would take us, but it's like, this is, this is what it is. And, and so I think that's why this is one of my favorites is because there is no clear, I don't feel like, takeaway story. I don't feel like there's, there's an obvious interpretation and, and call to action. And, and personally, I just enjoy that aspect of it. <laughs> and, yeah. and I think I've, I've visited this in different context over the years. Mm-hmm. And I think each time I've come to it, I've had a little bit of a different take on it. Mm-hmm. And the same would be true over like the prodigal son yeah. where I have a different take on it now than I did in the past, but it's more kind of developed on the, the original understanding of it that I had. Mm-hmm. It's kind of understanding more nuance and layers to it. Whereas this yeah. one, I feel like you can come back to it, you know, every couple of years or something and mm-hmm. be like, Oh, I read that completely differently now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I just enjoy that aspect of the parable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this is a missed opportunity where the disciples should have just asked Jesus, Jesus, what does that mean? <laughs> and then we would know for sure. Um, and I think when I get home today, uh, I think one of the things I want to do is to pull out various translations mm-hmm. on the computer and just see what various translations say you know, and especially new language type things like the message or the voice or uh, things like that to see what other people think is the main point here. Because uh, even just uh, listening to our conversation, you know, I read things very differently, or at least I understand, okay, oh yeah, I could see that point clearly. Um, and, and again, I, I think that's the beauty of these. I, I think we do grasp the the overall message because it's very consistent with the theme of Jesus's teaching anyway but is there anything else there that may be a harder teaching for me to grasp and I don't know I'm, I still struggle with what is that what are the other nuanced parts of this again I think like the the the, the lost son the prodigal son if you miss the point about the older brother then I think you're missing a key element especially for those of us who have been part of the church our whole lives. But I can still get something out of it about God's grace and mercy, even if I totally missed that part. Right, yeah. And so I think I would, you know, that's... When I say favorite, I guess I mean, you know, it's certainly not the one that I turn to for like, if I need to be Mm -hmm. encouraged or uplifted, I'm going to go read The Shrewd Manager. (laughs) So it's not like the most meaningful to me Mm -hmm. or the most encouraging but one of my favorites to just explore and talk about right. 
because it's it, thought provoking. It's thought provoking. It, it mm-hmm. always leads to a unique conversation, <laughs> and it's which yeah. I think this is. And you know, I talked to it. There's, um, I, I did a class on this several years ago where I, I was kind of new to preaching. I was doing a Wednesday night class on this parable, and there was a guy in the audience in the class that night who'd been preaching like his whole adult life. And so I was a little intimidated about it. And so we start talking, we get into the conversation and this guy who was, I mean, he was just this incredibly like sweet and nice and gracious guy. And so he very early in the conversation said, he's like, you know, Warren, I've been preaching for 50 years. I have no idea what this parable means. Mm. <laughs> and so it was just kind of calming for me because, yeah. you know, it was like, yeah, like that's, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to discuss it. And, and it's, it was a unique conversation then. It's a unique one now. And so I, it's a good place to go, I think, for unique conversation about Jesus and Scripture. I'm really excited about the whole parable series because, honestly, like, I love Jesus and he is who I have a relationship with. But I feel like of what happens in the Scripture, the majority of what I don't understand are the words that come out of Jesus' mouth. <laughs> oh, that's good. And so <laughs> it's... It's helpful to to have someone, you know, breaking those things down. I just feel like there are so many of the things that Jesus has said that whenever I actually go through and read it, I'm like, wait, hold up. Wait, what are you talking about? You know, um, so I'm, I'm excited. I think that this will be helpful for me personally and for everybody else. Well, good. Well, we'll, we'll close out there. Thank you, Rachel and Terry, for, for joining me mm-hmm. today. Uh, I'm appreciative that each of you are willing to to throw out your own thoughts and, and that we, we are each comfortable enough with, with each other and, and with <laughs> our, our, our takes to say, yeah, this may not be what everyone take, takes from it, but here's my thoughts. So thank you both for that. And uh, Rachel, will you close us in prayer for today? All right, let's pray. Jesus, we are in awe of you and we love you and we worship you. Thank you for these intriguing teachings that you've given us. I pray that you would just um, take away the blinders from my eyes and help us to continue to have more wisdom and understanding the truth of your word. Thank you for fellowship and just the freedom and the ability to discuss these puzzles together. And thank you that you were so interesting. You gave us words that we're still trying to understand thousands of years later. You're such an awesome God. We love you. And Jesus, give me praise. Amen. Amen.